Welcome to the great conversation where ideas matter, ideas shape markets, ideas can change the world. Uh, a while back, I got to meet Vitaly Gaiman, uh, who is the co-founder of Quantum Leaders. And in a nutshell, just to bring everyone up to speed, what he spends most of his waking hours on is solving what I call this problem of disengaged cultures, especially when those cultures uh, are absolutely imperative in the success of the human organization. And in our last podcast with him, uh, pretty much we talked about the organization, think of the organization as a living human being. It's made up of a lot of disparate parts, if you will, but engaging that human organization through its heart, through its head and through its hands is, uh, is a science and an art. And uh, so I thought I'd, on this 29th day of April, I thought I'd catch up with Vitaly and see what he's been up to and what he's been thinking, especially as we get toward the end of this pandemic. Hey, <laughs> thank you so much, Ron. Thank you, thank you. We had a really good session last time and, and, uh, and I, uh, I really enjoyed speaking to you last time. I think today we can go even deeper and I might actually surprise you because uh, we will go a, a whole level deeper into, into this subject. Uh, and, you know, maybe the first thing I want to say is while I'm totally into uh, respecting and uh, guiding the, 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 and, and the human spirit in organizations, right, I actually realized that last time I talked to you, I didn't quite position myself correctly, right? Um, in a sense, because I'm still very much a business executive. So yes, I love people. And I think people are obviously is what drive. This is the energy that emanates um, from the organization, how much people care and about each other and how, many, how much they care about the customers and the planet. But at the end of the day, I'm still results-driven executive. I know if the organization doesn't produce results, and I'm not just talking about profit, but results, you know, it could be a nonprofit organization that's you know, reducing hunger and they wanna have and have very clear goal of reducing X you know, number of people who are, who are hungry or impoverished. And if they don't produce that result, then you know the rest of it doesn't really matter. The organization has not performed, and they can all go home, and they do go home, and the organization stops existing. So the biggest misperception I I used to get is that I am a, a kind of a human resource management person, or a culture person, or organizational development person, um, which I respect all those professions. I mean, they're doing a phenomenal job, but that is not enough for me uh, because it's just one side of the coin. The, the other side of the coin is we need to produce business results. So I want to kind of reposition myself, if you like, or well, correct well, myself. Well, since I was part and parcel of that initial conversation that may have uh, convinced people you were um, <laughs> a little too kumbaya-ish you know, we all get to hold hands around a circle and feel good about each other. Now, I, yeah. I never took you that way, but I'm, I'm glad you're bringing that up because if we take that analogy that I opened up this, this podcast with, that you need to treat the organization as a living human being, heart, hands, and mind, we also could add stomach to that. It has to be fed. 
It has to be fed. And, right. and the people are engaged in roles in a measurable process using whatever tools you've given them to achieve what? The mission, which exactly. is, now, if organizations have not tied that mission to an individual's purpose, then we have a disconnect, right? And now they're just transaction oriented. They're there for a paycheck. They're there for the medical benefits. Uh, so what are you doing to convince people that, uh, and, and this goes for employees and leaders, that there needs to be a different transaction of value there? Uh, well, well, I would go back to still back to my previous statement. I'll tell you why. So first, when I, when I come to an executive and I say, how are you doing? This is, my, like, this is how we start, you know, like a CEO or a board of direct or whatever, or even just an owner of a small company. I said, how are you doing? And the first thing I asked him, um, like, how are you doing in terms of your business objectives and business results, you know? So I don't ask him about engagement and so on. I ask him about the business outcomes, business outcomes. And he says, you know, I'm doing fantastic. I'm actually hitting every KPI, every goal I have, almost overachieving it. Um, typically, I say, you know what? You probably don't need me. I mean, you definitely don't need me. Keep doing what you're doing because whatever you're doing is working for you, right? So I start from that. I don't start, is your culture disengaged or whatever? Now, if he says, you know what? I could be doing better. My, uh, I'm, you know, I, I, I anticipated a growth of X percent, let's say example, and I'm not getting that, you know, and we've been trying everything and we're just not getting to that goal. I go, well, now I think I can help you because there is a gap to be filled. But if you're hitting your goals, you're fine. Listen, you don't need any of this, right? Keep doing what you're doing because I probably can learn from you. We should be learning from this guy. But 90% or whatever, I don't know, 70% organizations, you know, some studies show that they are not executing to the level that they are, uh, they, they actually aspire to. So, you know, they set a goal, they set a KPI, we want to grow by X, we want to whatever, make profit by Y, and we want to even, or we, we want to reduce the stress in the organization. It doesn't have to be financial, right? Whatever it is, we want to change the culture in the organization. And we're not achieving it. Now we have a gap. Now we have, now as, as practitioners, as whatever we are, as CEOs, as, as board of directors, we can say, okay, now we have to close this gap. And then the next question, then we get as a good home, um, holistic practitioner versus, you know, uh, we say, okay, so these are the symptoms. You see, you're not, you, know, you, you might have a whatever disengaged culture. Um, what's the cause of it? What is the cause, right? And then we get a lot of answers such as, well, you know, is this greater resignation? Young people don't want to work anymore. They want to work from home, right? Uh, so we're getting all these stories. We start collecting those stories uh, from organizations. And it could be many other reasons, you know, that um, we, we're going through a pandemic. Uh, there is a war in Ukraine, you know, and, and it's affecting us. Our governments are really going crazy and regulating like hell. And it's making our life difficult. So it's not so. So as a CEO, you're stuck, or as an owner, you're stuck in the middle of all that, right? So I have a lot of compassion for those people, first of all, because it's really difficult, right? They are kind of alone in that position, and everybody's hitting them from all sides, right? The culture people go and says, "You don't know how to manage culture," right? The, the government says, "You don't know how to you don't know how to comply with our regulations." 
The suppliers are saying, we're going to cut out your supply because China has a problem. You work it out how, how you, you can pay double, but we don't care, right? The customers say, you know, whatever, you're not delivering enough value for us. We're going to switch, right? And it goes on and on and on and on. And the poor guys in the center goes, wait a minute, how many battles do you want me to fight? Like, I mean, I can't win all those battles and I feel alone. They feel disenfranchised. They feel blamed. You know, a lot of their CEOs say, and, it's, and they only have one brain, right? <laughs> and one heart and one pair of hands, right? And they have a thousand, two thousand, five thousand mouths to feed. Literally, if on Monday he doesn't pay the paycheck, he doesn't pay the payroll check, we have thousands of people that cannot feed themselves anymore and they have to go and find a job, right? So there's huge responsibility on that. And I was in that position, right? And so it's not esoteric. It's, it's like, really, it's like, oh, yeah, no money, no cash flow, no life supply. Everybody goes home and an organization collapses. And an interesting thing is we think it's kind of like um, actually 50% of all organizations have disappeared off the face of the earth, large organization, huge resources. In the last 20 years, I think the stats is 50% just died like dinosaurs, right? Either were... Now, they, they didn't, some of them were taken over by other organizations, so they didn't die, but they merged with others. But then brain name disappeared. So the rate of death of organizations, have, I think, was, is like 10, 10x compared to like 50 years ago, right? So we're having huge problem because somehow organizations just don't work anymore in this environment, in this VUCA world. And it, yes, I mean, disengagement is one of them, right? But it's, but you see, it's only, the, but it's complex, right? It's a whole, it could be the environment. It could be the supply chain. It could be the government regulation. It could be the culture. It could be the great resignations. It could be the technology that's, uh, that's, that, that, you know, they're, they're already a dinosaur. They couldn't switch to digital. So there's just, there's such a strong, it's just a complex uh, mechanism. So, but, but, so when we have that overview, we have a lot of compassion for the leaders, right? First of all. Otherwise, we just we're hitting them with a bat without understanding the complexity of the environment. But so let's go back then now to, to okay, if, if if one of the interests is we have a mission and a vision, but it's not in, but it's not in alignment with the cult with the culture. Okay, that that happens, right? So this is how I approach it. I don't know. It's a living being, right? This organization was born once where, and, and there was spark. There was, in the beginning, there was the word, right? <laughs> and, and this founder had this idea, spark of, you know, whatever it is, you know, let's make this widget. And it's going to, and, and that widget will somehow serve somebody and make their life easier, right? It was never like a, a malicious thing. I'm going to create an organization with a toxic culture. That's not how that organization started, right? I mean, you know, right? Right. I mean, they have an idea, like you know, I had an idea to create well, a publishing company. It was educate people about positive thinking, right? My wife said, hey, wouldn't that be a great idea? We're walking down the street and we said, okay, you know, uh, let's do that. I mean, that's probably needed. We need it for ourselves. Maybe somebody else will need it. So we started making little stickers uh, with positive affirmations, right? Yeah, all over. And, and so eventually we sold a million of those stickers all over the world. Right. But it started because there was a need we wanted to feel and it was the need was within us. Right. And we thought, hey, maybe a few other people we can add value to with this. Right. And that's how most organizations start. They don't start with how can I create a toxic culture, you know, or good culture or whatever. Uh, it, but what happens is that that little baby then grows up 
and then, then it, you know, obviously, if it's successful, if that value creation brings in profit, that will grow, and it will, uh, and it will eventually grow into an adult. Unfortunately, sometimes it loses itself in the process. Why they started in the first place, you know, it's almost has like a middle age crisis. It doesn't know why why it's there anymore. Fifty years, hundred years later, right? And that's we find a lot in organizations. So that, that could happen, and so. When you say mission, vision, yeah, we have the, the skeleton of it, our original founder, but the essence of it is gone. Does that make sense? Like, so that's the first problem, is the essence of the original spark of life is no longer clear to the people. Well, you, you, I'm glad, I'm glad um, we're back to the living being analogy. Right. Uh, because if we do treat it like that, if we treat it that... <clears throat> the first seven years of life is where most of the core values are impregnated and then uh, and then uh, made fa fast. That's right. I mean, if you think about how kids develop a living human being, that's where everything takes place. So the genesis of an organization is it's really interesting. You said, I want to know where it started and what you actually were doing to create the, uh, to bring this idea to life, to bring this child to life. And right. did you inculcate that organization with as far as its core values? And how did you ensure those core values were practiced, if you will, a discipline of core values and core process as you went along? And of course, with any human being, lots of mistakes are made, especially if you're a parent. You yeah. know, lots of mistakes are made. So in yeah. that story is also redemption. But redemption only occurs if there's learnings about oneself and, a, a, and about the world around them. So I'm, I'm, yes. I'm, I'm really, if you don't mind, really key on this because yeah. whether the vector is going down, diminishing returns, uh, KPIs that aren't being met, or it's going up, knowing yeah. that you will reach a plateau one day and then you have to create another hockey stick, another vector to keep it going, just like you do in life, by the way. You can't yeah. accept things will stay as the norm, but it all comes back to who you are and what you want to be. So I love, that, I love the fact that you're getting to the essence at the very beginning, but how do you exactly. attention? Exactly. So, I mean, um, so back to my example, for example, I, I don't know, when, when we came up with this, hey, I want to I I have a, a publishing company that will educate people or inspire, not educate, inspire people about positive affirmation, positive, the power of being of positive affirmations, you know, um, because we needed it, right? And, we, and so the first thing I, I, I think is not so much values, values, but value creation. What value can I add to, to, to some another human being? How can I serve? That's, that's the first impetus, right? That's, that's right. what drives the whole entrepreneurial world. How can I serve someone, right? Yeah, you, um, you shouldn't start with how much money can I make? You should yeah, think how much or, value can I generate, right? Exactly. Or even what kind of culture I create. I think, anyway, uh, um, Sometimes, uh, let, let me kind of backtrack. I just thinking about myself. I wasn't thinking about what kind of uh, or values I want to create. That kind of down the track. The first is like, how, what is it? 
I mean, in plain terms, what can I sell to, uh, that adds value to a customer and I can make money? I mean, let's put it honestly, right? All entrepreneurs start with that. Is it, can I make, can I create a, a return on my investment there? And, and, you know, I remember I started this company with $2,000 and all of my stock was actually came in and it was all uh, broken and, and, and I like, oh, so that's it. That was the end of the company, my first. And so I thought that was the end. That was a big, very quick death of a company within three months, right? And then I picked myself up again, invested more money, and, and it started flowing again. Um, so, so the first thing is value creation. I, be, I believe the all entrepreneurs and CEOs start, am I still adding value? Um, but yes. The second thing is, uh, if I'm going to create an organization, if it's not just going to be me, I mean, you could be just self-employed, then you don't have to worry, it's just your values, right? But if you are going to create a, a group of people, then what, are, what, what, what kind of values do we live by? Or in other words, who do we need to be? Who are we being while we're serving the customer? That's the question, right? So it's, uh, are we being kind? Are we being uh, considerate? Are we being curious? Are we being honest, right? While we're doing this, we need to serve the customer, but but in the process, right? It's really important to have this self-reflection, and 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 that's a more mature way of looking at. Believe it or not, it actually takes a certain level of maturity and self-reflection because only when you've suffered by not being one of those, by just focusing on transactionary experience. Uh, and you realize, wait a minute, I've lost myself here. You know, I need to also understand who am I being while I'm do while I'm doing this. Right. So that that's already a mature company. Right. Now, just putting a bunch of values on the paper and put putting a plug on the wall this is our mission. It doesn't do any of that. You know, that's just a modern greenwashing way of ticking the boxes for, for the culture of people. And this, unfortunately, that's what I see when I go to CEO. They're incredibly bright you know, entrepreneurs for, uh, and they see the value they're creating, but they're not really understanding the importance of who am I being while I'm, while I'm doing that, right? The thing is like, really? I mean, I'm being a businessman, making money, okay? That's enough, right? And usually that's where it stops. So, this, so the, what you're talking about is, is, is kind of a leap in maturity, I would say. Organizations, you know, and there are organizations, very few, that's why we call them living organizations, who begin the journey, not just uh, what value I create, but what am I going to stand for in the, in your, who am I going to be in the world, you know? And they begin their journey by saying, yeah, like there's a nursing organization, for example, uh, in Netherlands, Berto. And when I interviewed the CEO, I said, what were you thinking when you started with just the first? He said, I was thinking, who do I, because he was already a professional nursing guy. So he knew what the value he's creating. That's not, a, he said, and the biggest thing for me was who am I being in front of my patients? You know, am I being kind? Am I being loving? Am I treating my colleagues in the right way? And he said, it, this, because I've seen so much mistreatment, right? Um, that I've realized that I need to start with that. You know, with, we call it starting with context, starting with the, who you're being. And then he and then he said from there it was much easier because once I me and my little group of people, his wife and his first few nurses, once we figure out who we are, then the processes and the management structures fall, fell out from that. Yeah. One one of the things that um, 
you're, you're touching on so many things here uh, because I, I talk a lot about entrepreneurship and entrepreneurship. Entrepreneurship is how an idea gets, a new idea gets formed in a company and ultimately how it gets executed properly. Entrepreneurship yeah. is a new idea in a marketplace. But both ideas revolve around um, what, what is the job to be done that I'm trying to improve? What is the job to be done that I want to improve? In the consumer world, same thing. What is the experience that customers want to have in a restaurant and how do I improve it? Whether it's food or ambiance or it, it could be anything. Uh, so consumers are the same way as markets. They all are looking to improve on the job to be done. Sometimes the market is conscious of that gap. Sometimes it isn't. Steve Jobs famously said, I'll never ask a customer what they want because that isn't where the big markets are. It's, it's the experience they never anticipated from my idea, right? Yes. So, 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 so this genesis of an idea, whether it's inside a mature company or it's starting in a market, this genesis of an idea has mm -hmm. a lot to do with whose idea it is. So what you're trying to do, I'm trying to pin this down for our audience, Vitaly, mm -hmm. but mm -hmm. what you're trying to do is first and foremost, get into the head and heart of a leader. And then depending on the maturity of the organization, see how that's being translated in their go-to-market strategy. Uh, from the start, you know, from the start all the way through, from the fulfillment of it, you know, a, a um, as I think it was a Porter or Drucker who said a value proposition starts with the job to be done. Yes. Starts with that idea. And then what does it take to fulfill that idea? That's your in critical infrastructure, sales, mm -hmm. marketing, HR, legal. And then, and then of course, it's very simple. Is it a sustainable idea? Is it a big enough idea where I can afford the expenses associated with that infrastructure and delivering that value proposition? That, that's, yeah. that's, that's a business. That's a business. This is what I, you know, when I, when I taught at MBA school, uh, it's a business uh, feasibility study, right? right. Is it feasible? Can right. it fit itself, um, right? Right, but it starts with leaders. It starts with uh, uh, someone who's uh, either an innovator or, or, yeah, at the top of the... Or... Who, who's passionate, purpose-driven. Right. Look what happened when Steve Jobs was forced out of Apple. It lost its heart. Correct, correct. So, so, so the, this, is, uh, this is the conventional way of looking at organizations, right? right? There is another way. Okay. There is not, so typically the, 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 and it is true that usually there is a, a, a father, a mother, kind of someone who gives birth to this organization with an idea or who comes in and reinvents the organization in a whole new. And yet this is, this is what I've, I've now started to believe that it's not enough, actually, because first of all, those guys are rare, okay? They're there, you know, and um, secondly, it's not how I believe the future organization is going to be running um, because I believe in much more distributed leadership approach that the job of a leader is not to be the innovator, the birth of life. Sometimes it is, but it is to create other leaders who create the sparks 
within the organization. It's distributed leadership, right? Yeah, but but still, what kind of human being mm-hmm. can do that? Yes, and so that's the shift between from a charismatic, powerful leader like Steve Jobs, who's like my way is the highway, and my vision, and it's fantastic, you know. There and we, and we but we, we revere them too much because I don't think that's a sustainable model for organizations in the future, right? I think the most susta- and sustainable model is a leader that may have be be such visionary, but also understands that his time is going to be up. And in order to sustain this organization through life cycle, he needs to create other leaders in his path who have just as much vision, just as much, you know, at all levels of organization. It's not even just at the top. At the, could, that leader could come from a shop floor, right? And I'll give you an example. There was a, a shoe company that was going out of business, right? And it was phenomenal. I can't remember. I think it was a Canadian-based and they, and they gathered the whole of people because it was already like 300, 250, it was a second or third generation company and they just could not make it. And they started looking for ideas and they realized it's not going to be from the top. The, the top guys just don't have. It was What happened is there was some guy working in a, somewhere in the back of the storage unit had this idea for some kind of weird shoe design and it's actually they, they made it. For, you know that that actual shoe saved that um, absolutely turned around the organization. Then I started expanding the the product line, and that idea did not come from the top. Did not come from a charismatic leader. It came from all all the way from the bottom. All right. Now, if you just if you perpetuate the myth that all ideas are from people like Steve Jobs, that's going to hurt the organization because that's not including the collective wisdom of the organization. Right? Uh, but, but I didn't say that. I said Jobs no. is the heart. What Jobs did, what mm-hmm. Jobs did at the end of the day, let's don't okay. go to all his, all his uh, mistakes he made. Let's go to the one thing he did well. What did he, what did he do well? And you, you mentioned that 50% of the brands have disappeared in over 20 years. He right. told a story. And that story became the culture of Apple. That story. And when he left, the spirit of that story left. And new new chapters could not be written of that story. Right. So I, I absolutely, first of all, I absolutely agree with you that he he was the the brainchild and the heart. I'm not sure the heart. As a heart, he was a bit. He wasn't that nice of a person. But but I know what you mean. He was the he was he the, produced, heart, the heart of the story. So the where I'm story. getting okay. at, and this and this is why these are great conversations, right? Everyone, yeah, yeah. everyone yeah. understands by now. When I when I get Vitali on the line, I'm not here <laughs> to have a great script. This is That's unscripted. Right. And so it's great, great conversation. And you're, 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 you've got me all fired up, Natalie, because I, <laughs> I wrote here in my notes, maybe this distributed leadership persona's most important goal is creating the story that and lights the fire that future uh-huh. can be written on. Beautiful, beautiful. That's what I was kind of like... Uh, 
I, I, I wasn't leading you that way. You got it, got that yourself. <laughs> Absolutely, okay. that's that's what it is. It's about so one of the biggest responsibility. If I was Steve Jobs, and I would be sitting there right now in heaven, and I would be going, "Shit, oh, I shouldn't say that." I'm, I'm publicly. I go, "Oh my god, I kicked the bucket, and there's nobody else to take over." By, by the way, I don't I don't have any censors in the great conversation. <laughs> okay, okay. We're allowing that to pass. Okay, well, he's probably saying that right now. He goes, oh, my God. He goes, I could have prepared the company better because I knew I'm not forever. But, but that, And he admitted that when he came back. So redemption. Yeah. Remember, I talked about redemption as part of the life cycle of an organization, this idea yeah. of forgiveness, if you will. But, yeah. it, but, but, but this, is, this is great. So, Vidali, if I hired you tomorrow, yeah. would you ask me what my story is? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I would ask you as a story, and I also um, have to be very careful, right? Uh, like if you're a CEO, I would ask you definitely, what is your personal story? Okay. Yeah. But also, I would ask you, please don't over, um, please consider the organizational story, this living being that you have. And that's a co creative story, it's not yeah. just yours. Yeah. And this is uh, so, yes, the leader still has a very strong influence very strong influence, right? Because it's a visionary. And uh, at the same time, if you don't, we need to take in consideration this living being and this, its story, right? And every person's story and then co-create the weave the story into a common story. Yeah. Now, right? And now we're getting to the heart of your question, by the way, we were all the way back to your question. If we don't have a co-creative story, we have disengagement. If it's just your story as a CEO, well, good for you, go and be self-employed. Right, but if you're asking me as an employee, as a member of community, what is my story, and how can I contribute to this collective story? Now we're getting the start of engagement, right? Now you're asking me to be part of this family, right? Now I feel being respected as a living person because you're saying it's not just my story. I want to hear your story. I want to. I want to weave all the stories together into a common story. Huh? And, and also, if you think about it, that's with your existing employees. But what about your future employees? So one of the first mm -hmm. things that has to be done is before anyone's hired, make sure they understand the story and, right. and the connection between them and the story. Yeah, 100%. This is like you said it I mean, perfectly well. Yeah, so it's not just a very now when we say story, a lot of people say, What what are you guys talking about? Like, you know, like what stories are we spinning here? because uh, it's you know, words are very vague. So it is the story is 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 um the reason stories are powerful because they don't just exemplify values, right? They exemplify meaning making. Like what, what, what's meaningful for us as organization, right? They exemplify the vision of where we could be in the future, the idealistic vision of what, how we serve the world, right? So, so it is a, it's a combination of all those things, right? And how we do it, right? And who we're being in, you know, while we're doing it. So the stories is a very complex. This is how human beings evolve okay, through story making around the fire, right? And this is how cultures evolved through stories, right? It's a powerful instrument. It is a complex instrument. And we've used it since whatever, since way before, you know, Buddhas or Christ. You know, we, this is how we uh, evolved our cultures is, is passing down the story from one generation to another, right? Right. 
I just got done uh, reading a uh, amazing book, but I could talk about that on a future podcast, but it was written by uh, a Chinese national and of course translated by a, uh, a person who spoke Ch Chinese. And then in the uh, afterward, uh, the translator said, uh, you need to understand, and I don't think most people would catch this, need to understand most of the words that I'm translating are culturally specific. And it's hard because then I have to translate not only the words, but the cultural mores, the similes, the extrapolations to be able to understand the story completely. Wow, think about that on a global company you're managing with different cultures and different backgrounds and different people and different spiritual backgrounds. Amazing, amazing complexity, as you said at the beginning. But yeah. what we can come away with in this great conversation is the power of story and impacting people very deeply. And, uh, and if properly channeled, transforming the value of the organization. Yes, and creating alignment. Stories create alignment. Now it's our stories together. Right. Stories create alignment. Yes. Now there is second, there is one more step that's really or two, actually a couple more steps. So let's say we do have a common story and we build it not just from the top down by a bunch of executives, but also from bottom up. Yep. and sideways and every other way we, we talk about. And we now, you know, I've seen companies that have their storybooks, you know, they have this huge book and every page is, everybody, they write, every individual wrote, so, so if there's like a thousand people, they have a thousand pages, you know, uh, and they have some, sometimes have uh, um, uh, pictures on walls and murals, right? Right. So it's, there's different ways to communicate stories, you know, through videos, through multimedia, through art, right? So it's not just a bunch of words because you know, it can be also artistic and videos and so on, animation. The assume we do have that and it's been co-created. And first of all, the very process of co-creation signals to people, you know what? We are, we're being heard. It's our story, it's right? This is what's happening with countries as well. I mean, it's not just organizations, right? So when you can co-create a strong story, then you're unifying the country, right? When you separate, you know, anyway, that's another topic. But the second part of the stories, if you don't back up the stories with the right rituals and the right processes to that confirm that story, you know, that, that confirms that you are actually doing what, you, what you're preaching, then you can actually, I mean, then, then you still have misalignment because you've created the story, but your performance, whatever reward process is exactly the opposite. That you're only rewarding the salespeople versus everybody or whatever it is, right? So the structures you create afterwards and the rituals you hold, you know, celebratory rituals, rewards rituals, uh, there's a lot of rituals that people don't even understand their rituals. Even just going for drinks after work is a ritual. And, and how you align that with your story or not or misalign with your story is a huge signal to the people who's like, hey, are you for real or are you not? And this is the problem in corporations. They create stories and then they do completely opposite when it comes to all of these structures. And the people go, I don't trust you anymore. Like you say one thing and then look at what's really happening. You sect half of the staff and you say you value 
people and yet you, we, you were indiscriminately saying just reduce your cost. Like, how does that work? Yeah. So, so the stories need to be backed up with structures and right rituals and processes. Um, and, and then the other thing is that these stories need to be alive. You, you can't freeze a story. It's a living organization. This story changes, right? And, and, and it doesn't matter if you had a story 15 years ago, but if it's not being alive, it's not a living story, it, it does, it's meaningless. It's, it's just a, it's, it's a, histori it's a historic testament to, testament to a previous generation. Not, it's not current anymore. So yeah. updating that story is a whole other, you know, like, is it still true today? What is true today about this? Right. Wow. Yeah. So that's. Oh, you, you, you should be an advisor to uh, many uh, churches around the world because uh, what they forget is that third one, the story. They have the rituals. They have the common story, but they haven't made it an evolutionary story, a live story like you're suggesting. Yes, and it's difficult. Listen, I mean, church is, I mean, on one side, I have a lot of compassion for the church. I mean, it is the longest living organization on this planet, and their story survived hundreds of thousands of companies, right? Thousands of companies have perished, and it's still alive. So sure. if you look at it as an organization, it is the longest living organization right. on this planet, right? right? I mean, I'm not saying the church, the, the Muslim um, tradition, the Buddhism, so on. So they've got it right. Their story was, but look what, I mean, you got me fired up on them. And look what their story was, why their story was so powerful. Why, why do you think is their story is more... It's lasted for thousands of years and many other stories. I don't know if Apple's going to start, uh, last for 3,000 years. <laughs> Why did their story last it through generations and generations and generations? Have you ever thought about it? Oh, I, I, I live it every day. So I, I would love to hear your answer to that. Well, I mean, I, mean, I, I think it's come, but I think it's because they addressed the fundamental heart and soul of the person and they gave them kind of a, I know I hate the word recipe. At that time it was, it was, now it's not working as much, but they gave them a life, how is it, what is it to live a life, a good life, a safe life, a successful life, you know? It, 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 was, it, it, it was kind of almost like a blueprint for life. Well, I think uh, when it comes to any faith, notice I use the word faith, when it comes to any faith, I'm not, I intentionally use that instead of doctrine, or religion, right. right? But faith, faith is um, something uh, that you believe in that in many cases unseen. So the, the first nature of its longevity is, um, is it can't necessarily be contradicted because <laughs> it's unseen. And, and what else is it? It's personal. And that it's is, very right? And uh, I just got off the phone with a, a great risk consultant in the security industry um, and, uh, and also an author who used to be a Navy SEAL. And both of them agree that when it comes to um, threats out there, uh, for example, if we invaded Afghanistan, you can't, the, the thing you, you can kill people you can win wars, but what are we seeing in Ukraine? It's hard to beat an idea. 
And so one of the things, and we're going to turn this back instead of <laughs> we kind of got sidetracked, turning yeah. this back to your core practice yeah. of an idea. If you think about it, the origin of an idea that made a company, if it has the right story and inculcated with the right breath of life, continuous breath of life into the story, it will survive years and years and years. Absolutely. You, you got it right. Exactly. If this is a, a living story that, that you know, if, if the story is continuously inspires and touches the hearts of people and their work and it adds and through that story we create products so that's real value and it holds and it and it's beyond one person therefore it doesn't die with the founder it doesn't right. die with the chief executive officer it continues exactly. to live in the hearts and minds of the people exactly yeah. exactly i mean this is jesus's story yes right this is long gone. If you know, Buddha's long gone, Muhammad long gone, but their story is told from one generation to another generation, and people live by it and it guides them and it, it makes their life better and they feel more inspired, right? It, and it creates them order, gives them it gives a purpose. It creates in Chinese tradition, they, they want to know the, 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 the Tao, it creates harmony. One of the most things is to create harmony between people and nature. Right. between people and people right look what we're doing now we're killing each other what if our story were uh, really facilitated harmony with each other you know so let's wrap this up in a nice tidy package here's what i've learned you tell me if i've got it right yeah uh, we're not going to go to approach because we've had a great long conversation of how you might approach a ceo and or a founder of a company we we've already talked about that but three things that you would then help them with. You'd help them with taking the story and translating it to the culture. And I love the idea of the storybook, by the way, because it's more mm -hmm. than words. It's also the second thing, rituals. What are the core processes you put in place that anchor the story and the, celebratory, yeah. the remembrances, the community, the celebratory function, the very important structures, processes, and rituals. And then finally, how do you breathe life into it persistently, constantly, and make it, making it an evolutionary and a co-created story? Yeah, beautiful. I mean, you kind of, kind of summarized, summarized all of that, you know. And it, it can only be done through people, you know. Right, right. Uh, bottom line is this, you can't program stories into your computers. That's meaningless, like, right? That's why we. That's why we come back to people. Not because you know I'm such. A, I mean, I am a human too, but it's not yeah. because you can only do this by uh, helping people. You know, tell those stories, live those stories, uh, integrated with with the with the you know the service they're providing it every day. I mean, daily, right? Well, yeah. I I, I wish I was a lot younger and I could go into business with you right now. I'm semi-retired and I'm just into the ideas like I get in these conversations. But I used to tell CEOs that I would advise that I had an image in my mind for our successful um, uh, ongoing engagement with them. And, and they would ask me what that was. And the image was two chairs, rocking chairs, with a little something, something, just like I start the great conversation. And we're rocking in the chairs on a porch one day. And we're talking about all the stories 
that occurred as a result of the original story. So in a sense, like you, I, I saw it as a living organism that was passed on. And we would talk about the people who were changed and transformed and redeemed during that, as well as the impact on the founder, the owner, the CEO themselves. And those are the stories worth telling, aren't they? You must get great satisfaction out of those kind of stories. I, I, it's, believe it or not, it is a spiritual pursuit for me. Literally, yeah. I mean, that right now, it's not longer about business consulting or even organizational or OD or whatever change. I've, I've recognized for me, it's, it's, it's gone to a level where, you know, I see business leaders ultimately as kind of spiritual leaders. I'm not talking about as in the church, right? Yeah. But they hold the spirit of organization. They guide it. They, they nurture it, right? And and that's the top that's that's the tip of the top leadership aspiration, and then from there they're, they're still practical, very practical leaders. Finance is still important. Marketing, sales, operation—they're still all important. But if the spirit is not being nurtured, then organization can't can live on. You know. And this is why this has been a great conversation. The breath of life, if you will, uh, uh, from uh, practitioners like Vitali. Uh, Vitaly, thank you so much for a great conversation. My pleasure.